I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. From the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sammy Hagar, Uh, just kidding, Um, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who cannot watch Heart of the Matter, we invite them to go to www.hotm.tv. They can click on streaming video and watch from anywhere in the world. We welcome our YouTube audiences and everybody who goes in on archives, uh, podcasts, whatever it might be. Would you like to make a public commitment of your faith and walk with Jesus and Jesus alone? If so, join us Saturday, July 11th, 7-11 at 1 p.m., for our annual open water baptism held in uh, Logan. We'll be at River's Edge to help any and all who want to make a public profession of being a Christian. Now, get a paper and something to write with really quickly if you're interested because I'm going to give you some easy to follow uh, directions. These are for people who don't have internet access. If you have internet access, you can go to www.hotm.tv and find the directions right there. But if you're headed from the south of Brigham City, anywhere south of Brigham City, if you're headed north, you take the I-15 to exit 362. It's the only Logan uh, exit that there is. It says Logan Brigham City exit, exit 362. Head east, you take that road all the way out through Sardine Canyon, past two stoplights. You'll come to a railroad track. Look to your left. There'll be balloons. The name of the park is Rendezvous Park. Uh, pull in there and uh, 1 p.m. Saturday, 7-11, after we sing, pray, and have the baptisms, we'll distribute uh, directions to a home where the party will be. It's a wonderful time to fellowship, meet new people, get baptized in a non-denominational way. All are welcome, whether you're getting baptized or not. We invite you now. Also, Saturday, September 5th, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., three-hour block. Join us for our fourth annual Burning Heart The Big Tent Revival. We're going to have a great big tent there in case of rain. We're going to have Adams Road from Florida there to entertain us. We have a few other uh, big bands that will be there. We have uh, Subway Box lunches available at a very decent price. Popcorn, cotton candy slides, uh, testimonies, baptisms possibly, the whole thing. Please join us September 5th, Saturday, Sugar House Park, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Received a number of complaints about two comments I've made on recent programs. The first category of complaints were in regard to something I said about animals and the resurrection. Because of my comments, one woman wrote, quote, I will never watch you again. 
Ouch. Um, look, I don't know the answer to whether all animals will be resurrected or not. It's kind of hard to fathom. Maybe just the mammals will be. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. I hope, I hope that they are resurrected, especially the edible ones. Um, I can't imagine heaven without steak fajitas and, uh, and barbecue ribs and laboratory retriever burgers and things. Just kidding. Totally kidding. Uh, I don't know. Uh, God, I say this about the mysteries. Whatever happens, God is going to make it right. He's going to make it beautiful. He is going to be exactly the way it should be, and you will know that. So don't know the answer to that one. Secondly, I took big heat for my response to a caller a few weeks back who wondered about suicide. She had a friend who was really, really ill and was contemplating that. It was a difficult call. One man named Jerry was appalled at my opinion and wanted to let me know that anyone who kills themselves will go straight to hell because God will not treat sin lightly like I do. Uh, I want you to know that I would agree, Jerry. God does not treat sin lightly, and that's why he sent his son. I don't know who you think you are, but last time I checked, all of us are going to exit this world, including yourself, with some type of unresolved, stamped sin on our record. Thank God that we are saved by his grace and the blood of his son, and uh, not the quality of every one of our actions. So, um, Anyone who is pushed to the emotional brink where they would take their own life uh, is in all probability seriously troubled, in severe pain, just out of their minds. And who would better understand this pain and trouble than the Lord Jesus? Take your finger and stop pointing it at others. Redirect it at your own heart, sir, and leave the judgments to God. I choose to refrain from condemnation of any sort or any type except the condemnation that I assure you will come if you do not receive Jesus as the only way, truth, and life. Okay, a follow-up on my contacting LDS President Thomas Monson. Thanks to all of you who have reminded me this week to make a call, texted, written, twittered, tweeted, blogged as a means to remind me to contact the LDS Church. So this is what it came down to. On Wednesday, June uh, 17th, I called the LDS Church headquarters and the operator answered. I asked if I could speak to Thomas Monson. There was a long pause and she said, may I say who's calling? I said, Sean McCraney. And to which she, there was a very long pregnant pause and she said, one moment please. And then I was put through the office of the First Presidency and spoke with a very nice woman whose name was Christy, who after asking why I wanted to speak with Thomas Monson, informed me that I had to arrange any and all appearances through the church public relations department. I was then transferred to that. Judy answered and was covering the phones at the time as the entire department was in what she called staff devotional. And Judy put me through uh, in contact with one Lyman Kirtland, who put, I was put in his voicemail. I left a detailed message with my return phone number. I repeated it twice. And as of Monday, I received no return call. This morning, I placed another call to Lyman Kirtland's office with another message. No return call yet. Lyman, hey, Lyman, Kirtland. Give me a call. I really want to invite President Thomas Monson, the First Presidency, a member of the Quorma 12, any member of the 70, anybody that you can say is an official representative of the church to sit right here and talk with me just about three or four subjects and I'll be polite 
just an official representative, we beg you, send us somebody. Okay, so there's the invitation. I'll call Lyman every week, okay? Now that I have his number, and I'll just follow up to see what he is doing and why he's not calling me back. All right. My oldest daughter, Mallory, recently graduated from school, and, my, and she's moved on in life, and my wife was cleaning out some of her boxes, and she discovered some things from her life as an LDS girl. By reviewing them, I found myself becoming ill. I was first sickened by the fact that I allowed my children to be exposed to this kind of stuff at one time in my life, and I was also, also sickened by the fact that this stuff still continues to be pushed on them today. Tonight, I'm going to share the first of two of these young women's communiques, which we found. This one is called Combat Strategy. And what it is, it's supposed to be kind of a letter from a general to the soldiers in the field. It's two. M. McCraney, that's my daughter, from the commanding officer. The date is 7-7-2000, and it's regarding the Earth's battle. Title of its combat strategy. Now, what they did was they took a quote from N. Russell Ballard, M. Russell Ballard, an apostle of the church from 1996, and from a speech he gave at BYU titled, How to Find Safety and Peace. Now, as I read this, ask yourself, it sounds right in parts, but what's missing and what's wrong? Okay, really quickly. It says, quote, we are in a war. This is the same war that raged in the premortal world. Lucifer and his followers are committed in their evil direction. But we must never forget this about Lucifer. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies and has been from the beginning. He was cast out from Heavenly Father's premortal kingdom because of his disobedience. And now he has one goal, one eternal commitment that has never changed from the time of the war in heaven until the present day. His sole purpose is to make you and me as miserable as he is. And the best way for him to accomplish that is to entice us into disobedience. Pray regularly, serve faithfully in whatever capacity a call is extended, establish a time and place to study the scriptures on a daily basis, even if it's only for a few minutes at a time. In the great scheme of things, these things take so little time, but in the long-term benefits are eternal and infinite. It takes faith, real faith, unequivocal and unreserved, to accept and attempt to live prophetic counsel. Even when you don't completely understand it, such simple faith has the power to guide you safely through every challenge you may face in your life. So he there equates faith to prophetic counsel. Have this faith, this he calls unequivocal, unreserved faith. In what? In prophetic counsel. He goes on, of course, Lucifer doesn't want us to feel or exhibit that kind of faith. So he makes us feel uncomfortable with obedience. He plants defiance in our hearts with justification and rationalization, subtly convincing us that it is possible to live in the spirit of the law, even if we are in violation of the law. Then he says, but to each of you, I have only one question. This is an apostle who says he's an apostle, of the Lord Jesus Christ in the combat strategy, in the speech, asking one question. What would it be if you were an apostle, of the Lord Jesus Christ to ask youth? But I have one question. This is it. Are you going to follow the true and living prophet or not? Is it really any more complicated than that? Keep your eyes riveted on the first presidency and the quorum of 12 apostles. We will not lead you astray. We cannot. That is what the combat strategy was. This is what I allowed my uh, daughter to read in her life. Now, I want you to know if you're listening that that first presidency who he says and the apostles who cannot lead you astray have led you astray and they continue to. 
And how they do that is they say that you can read this Book of Mormon, this Doctrine and Covenants, this Pearl of Great Price and consider it scripture. That you can accept Doctrine and Covenants 132, any Doctrine and Covenants revelations as scripture like the Bible. That Joseph Smith and his polygamy and his secret wives and blood atonement and violence, all of that is fine. It's a, it's a regular acceptable part of history. That their current doctrines on grace and being saved by your works are acceptable. That you have to go through the temple. They are leading you astray with almost every doctrine they teach you. And he says here in the combat strategy that they cannot lead you astray. Oh boy. Next week I'm going to cover the Ten Commandments for Dating. Oh, and it's a joy. Um, so, with all that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we uh, come to you and we petition you uh, to be with us. And where we fail and are uh, lacking, please uh, fill the gap completely. Teach what you want to be taught. Bless our audience here, our audience wherever they are. Uh, help our staff, our volunteers, camera people, technicians, operators. Let the callers' uh, hearts be right. Let my answers be um, approved of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we were in the middle of talking about the federal government appointing two officers to the Utah ter Territory to bring stability to Brigham Young's despotic kingdom. Uh, and a guy named Associate Justice John Cradlebaugh and another one named Indian Agent Jacob Forney. I was right in the middle of talking about that when our dear friend and cameraman who is standing here today behind camera one, Michael, had a grand mal seizure. And he's doing well, but we cut off uh, the... He's been with us from the beginning. And so uh, it was heart-wrenching to see that, but we're glad he's here. But we cut off the message short, so I'm going to pick it back up. Indian Agent Forney's first job was to go and collect the surviving children from the massacre. He went south to get them and was told by an LDS member in charge at the time, Jacob Hamblin, that they was taken all by the Indians. Forney and his aide drew their pistols, pointed them at Hamlin's head and said, produce them or we'll kill you. I love it when people stand up to the institutionalized evil that these guys came down from the U.S. government, knew this massacre took place. They were given some runaround by this Hamlin. They've been taken by and they pull out their pistols and said, give them to us or we're going to kill you. Faithful Mormon Hamlin quickly produced 13 orphans, which the aides said, quote, were the most wretched condition, half-starved, half-naked, filthy, infested with vermin, and all suffering from diseased eyes. When Forney took the 13 to Cedar City to get them bathed and changed and properly cared for to take them to Salt Lake, three more children were located and added to the group. Prior to leaving the area, Forney made a side trip to John D. Lee to talk to him about the massacre. Uh, Forney questioned him and it caused Lee to rant and rave and squirm and scream about all the unconstitutional uh, injustices that were being heaped upon the saints here in the territory. Bagley notes that in Lee's private journal regarding Forney's visit, you have a chronology that goes along and then all of a sudden, right when it gets to the part where Lee recorded what he told Forney about the massacre, the pages were ripped out of the journal. Then another manuscript suddenly was produced and um, it 
it sort of suggested what the true story was about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And this mysterious document was supposed to have been written by a non-LDS observer. But Bagley notes that it was in clearly the work of an old line Latter-day Saint, probably John D. Lee. And this little found manuscript is known as the Discursive Manuscript. Bagley states that this document is, quote, a virtual case study of how to bring a total falsehood to life. Now, I want to pause here for just a second, and I want you to ask yourself a question. Have you ever noticed that within Mormonism, there's revising and re-editing and rewriting that has occurred over and over again? Have you ever wondered why this occurs? From the first vision and many of its convoluted and contradictory accounts, in the Doctrine and Covenants and the changes that it has had and the LDS history, the changes that it has had, alterations, deletions, additions, why are they constantly doing this? Joseph Smith introduced the idea of rewriting history and document alterations early on in his prophethood, and the spirit of this lives on to this day. It was alive in the Mountain, uh, Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre with this discursive manuscript. It was alive in the crimes of LDS bomber Mark Hoffman and the LDS leadership's response to his forgeries. It's alive and well in every church manual printed to date. They constantly revise, bring in new things. Even the Book of Mormon has uh, profound rewritten elements in this book that's supposed to be the greatest book of Scripture on earth. Now take a look at the Christian manual, the Bible. Moses recorded words written over 3,500 years ago, and every effort is made by men and women and scholars and archaeologists to make sure that we stay true to what was originally written. Look at Isaiah. The Dead Sea Scrolls verify that the book of Isaiah is a reliable proof text that's ancient, and we can read that, and it is it is 99.9% accurate with what the old manuscript said, what the, we have in our Bible right now. There's no rewritten re, uh, stuff. There's no additions and uh, subtractions like they do in Mormonism. Why the different approaches? Well, it's obvious. One is centered on truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and the other is based on perpetuating deception. Okay? Anytime you find them rewriting and re-editing, can't you see a deception is being uh, portrayed upon you? I mean, it's just so obvious. Well, all right, Forney brought the children back who survived the Mountain Meadows Massacre to Salt Lake City, and the federal government set aside $10,000 for their safe and comfortable delivery from Salt Lake City back to Arkansas, if there were any, Arkansas, if there were any relatives waiting for them there. The amount of money the government set aside for the children aggravated Brigham Young, who said, quote, that the large expenditure of public money was farcical. And he insisted, listen now, he insisted, quote, the children could at any time have been forwarded at a trifling expense. Okay? Remember that when I tell you the story in a second. One thing you quickly notice when you read about Brigham Young was his relentless focus on and desire to obtain and control money. Just think about this for a moment. Brigham Young had the full story of the uh, Mountain Meadows Massacre about two weeks after it happened from the mouth of John D. Lee. If he didn't order it, he himself was certainly an accessory before and after the fact. Any true Christian leader would have stepped in if their people had anything to do with that and said, what can we do to make these children comfortable? How can we contribute to help these children 
uh, get through this horrible time, but not Brigham Young, not at all. Uh, forget that these children watched their parents get slaughtered right before their little eyes, Brigham. Ignore the fact that they were ruthlessly separated from each other and then sent off to these impoverished, dry, desolate lands, Brigham. Disregard the fact that when these children were finally located, they were filthy, covered in lice, and full of eye disease. No, Brigham, just continue to show how little you care about these people by focusing how the government could have saved a few bucks because according to you, the children could have been forwarded at any time at a trifling expense. It's unbelievable. Forney was allowed to hire five women to accompany the children east who would be assigned to take care of these little children's every need. Their departure, I'm not kidding about this, these five women were assigned to take care of the kids. Their departure to take them back to their home was delayed by Brigham Young. Why? Because a couple of those women according to him, owed money to the church for helping bring them out to Utah. And he wanted those women before they left the territory to repay their debt to the church before they would be allowed to go and help those kids get back east. What a heart, Brigham Young. And they named a university after him. What a heart. While the surviving children finally disappeared over the Wasatch Mountains and headed east, two U.S. military troops went to Mountain Meadows and gathered up the dried bones of the immediate families. When the job was completed, they raised a rude monument out of rocks that was conical in form, about 50 feet in circumference at the base and about 12 feet high. They took a red cedar cross and they set the cross in the rocks and they inscribed upon that cross, quote, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, end quote. A granite slam was then set up by the army that read, quote, here 120 men, women, and children were massacred in cold blood early in September 1857. They were from Arkansas. By 1861, our nation was embroiled in a civil war, which again inflamed and encouraged Brigham Young's fanatical views that the millennial reign of Mormonism was just around the corner. Adding fuel to the fire was the fact that in July of 1861, Every U.S. troop had been pulled from Utah to aid in the uh, national crisis, the Civil War. Bagley notes, quote, Once again, the signs of the times appeared to indicate the approach of the second coming. Brigham Young was a huge millennialist, and he got everybody in the Utah Valley to believe that Jesus was coming and that the, prior to him coming, there was going to be a great battle and war, and the saints had to be prepared. And, he, and it says, Young was unusually cheerful as he contemplated the disintegration of the Union following its wicked attempts to uproot the kingdom of God and afflict its saints. Speaking in the tabernacle in March, Brigham Young said, There is no union, there is only disunion. Our government is sh shivered to pieces, but the kingdom of God will increase. With the U.S. troops out of the territory and surviving children of the massacre on their way east, Brigham Young decided to finally make a trip to Mountain Meadows and see it for himself. Unlike the mode of transportation Brigham Young sought for the surviving children headed east, trifling expenses, Bagley writes that such excursions of Brigham Young were an elaborate process. Brigham Young's daughter, Clarissa, Clarissa, recalled that her father was very particular and careful of even the smallest detail, and when he traveled, he took with him everything that anybody could possibly want. 
As his entourage passed through small towns in Utah on the way to Mountain Meadows, he was met with brass bands and military escorts. The Historian's Office Journal reports that, quote, armful after armful of the choicest fruits, meats, vegetables of every variety were placed upon tables. Waiters actually groaned and table tables tottered under the heavy weight of custard pies, frosted cakes, preserved fruits, and scores of other delicacies. Bagley notes that the true purpose of Young's visit was to ensure that the Southern Utahs understood the need for complete silence on the subject of Mountain Meadows. Traveling to Tokerville and Harmony, Brigham Young spent some time with John D. Lee and his family, where John D. Lee slaughtered a steer and two sheep for their grand time together. After Young spoke to Lee's family, he and Lee had a private conversation about Mountain Meadows, which Lee recorded, quote, the uh, prophet said, quote, the company that was used up, talking about everyone killed, at the Mountain Meadows were the fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and relatives of those who had murdered the prophets and that they merited their fate. The killing of the women and children was the only thing that troubled him, but under the circumstances, how could it be avoided? Well, under the circumstances of what? Trying to keep their secrets dark and, and deceptive and so that the world couldn't find out that they murdered them? I mean, why couldn't they just let him go and take, take the heat for the men? I, Lee reports that in a private conversation, Young then told him about a recent visit he took to Mountain Meadows. According to Bagley, quote, Brigham arrived on the site on a cold May morning with 60 men, women, and children. The monument the army had built was beginning to tumble down, but the wood cross and its inscription stood still. Brigham Young read the verse aloud that was on the cross, altering the text to fit his mood. Where the cross read, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Brigham Young said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I have repaid. Dudley Levitt recalled how Young directed the destruction of the monument in such a way that nobody could claim the order to destroy it came from him. Listen to the quote Dudley Levitt gives and we're going to go to the phones. It says, Brigham Young gave no order. He just lifted his right arm to the square, and in five minutes there wasn't one stone left upon another of the monument. He didn't have to tell us what he wanted done, Levitt reports. We understood. Let's open up the phones, 801-973-8820, yeah, 973-8820, 801-973-TV20, please, first-time callers, LDS callers, if at all possible, have your question and comment ready to go for the operator and then uh, turn down your television sets once the operator puts you on hold. We're running a spot to help explain our partners program, which keeps our program alive. We'll run that now. Come back and take your calls. Hi, beginning in late April, we let you know that our ministry was in some financial difficulties and we established the Heart of the Matter Partners. We want to thank you for you coming alongside of us. We are about a third of the way there with people coming in and giving their support through prayer and uh, emails and, of course, financial contributions. However, uh, we are about one-third uh, of the way there. That means two-thirds of the way remains. We want to invite you to come alongside and partner with us. It gives us long-term viability. It gives us easy sustainability to progress the show. We're not ending in uh, June, thank God. We are progressing forward in the ministry, but we need your help still. So why don't you go to www.hotm.tv if you're inclined by the Lord or call us at one 888 868 
888-444-4686 and partner up with us. Now, if you can't be a partner, that's fine. If you want to just offer prayer or whatever you can do, we appreciate it. We love you and we thank you. And we do thank all of you who uh, join with us in prayer, uh, sharing the program with others. Whatever you do, it's appreciated, and uh, we feel very grateful to have you behind us. Uh, before we go to uh, Laura and Logan and Danny in Georgia, uh, quickly, Bree asks, why do you only promote utlm.org? There's lots of really good websites in, uh, that address Mormonism. I like utlm.org, but there are so many others out there too. Well, I want you to know, First and foremost, utlm.org was the first on the block. They've been here for 40 years, Sandra and Gerald Tanner, and they have, they have paid the dues, and, they, and most, peop, most other sites use them to fortify the material they have on their site. So that's one reason. Secondly, they're reliable. Uh, they use uh, primary source uh, proof text, and they use the things from the LDS. Uh, third, um, we are fiercely loyal to people who have stood by us from the beginning. Now. I don't know if Sandra uh, Tanner was behind our ministry from the beginning. She probably had great serious questions about it because of some of the things that we do. But she didn't go public and, and she didn't go out and air the, this publicly where many of the other counter cult ministries with, before we even had show one went public and put all this stuff on the internet about us and Sandra sat back and reserved it and I'm loyal to that and so we are going to constantly promote them because of, of those uh, reasons so I hope that helps answer your question Bree let's try Laura and Logan first time caller on line two Laura you're on Heart of the Matter okay you're on the air uh, thank you uh, for your courageous program, Sean. Thanks, Laura. Uh, he's still talking on TV. Yeah, you, you have to turn your TV down, Laura, because there's a delay. I have it down. I have it down. Go ahead and ask your question, my friend. Okay, I'll start. This old lady thanks you for your courageous program, Sean. Thank Last you. Last week, Last week, you hypothetically asked, what would you do in my place? As a former LDS member, I'm often faced with similar dilemmas and would like to comment on a potentially expensive, explosive topic. Okay. In Doctrine and Covenants 132, Joseph Smith wrote that LDS men, by the power of the Holy Priesthood, are justified to commit adultery because the women are given to them in order to multiply and replenish the earth and for their exaltation in the eternal world. Joseph Smith wrote in the Pearl of Great Prices Book of Abraham that LVN men need to have all the children possible because the more children they have, the higher degree of celestial kingdom they might attain. He stated that faithful men can evolve into God in their own life and can come to rule their own universes. LTS members are taught to believe that they should create little spirits who are waiting their turn on earth. I wonder what the hurry is. <laughs> we must remember that eternity is a long time and that more than a billion people on earth today are starving to death. Wow. The above is believed by LTS members in the name of their religion. It is my humble wish that the members could focus less on religious beliefs and more on spirituality. Very good, uh, very good uh, comments, Laura. I really appreciate it. 
because you just quoted from their own doctrine, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants 132, have as many babies as you can, the women are yours to take, because it will exalt you in your celestial glory, men. And you're just quoting it as somebody uh, who understands it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, my, my sister. You're welcome. Keep up your good work. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to Danny in Georgia, first-time caller. Danny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am very blessed, sir. Um, I just um, I wanted to tell you I'm very, very pleased with what you all are doing uh, in witnessing to the LDS. Um, I, myself, am actually um, an ex-occultist. Um, I was involved in the occult oh. um, and actually almost converted to Mormonism because I was engaged to a Christian girl and decided that um, she wouldn't marry me. She decided she wouldn't marry me if I didn't uh, come out of it. So I thought I'd heard the Mormon temple was an occult high point. So I almost joined the LDS church to get her to convert. And then when I tried to get her to convert, she thought I was just wanted to be a polygamist, and she went crazy, <laughs> <laughs> needless to say. But um, So what happened? I, uh, I, it, was, it was just uh, we eventually broke up, and I eventually gave my life to the Lord. Awesome. Um, and later, after I, um, my question, I did have a question. I had heard that Joseph Smith claimed he'd done more for us than Jesus. Yeah, he, there's a quote that's on the, on the very front page of utlm.org, and we've, we've cited it here before, but it's something like, uh, I have more to boast about than uh, anybody, any man on earth. And he says, even Jesus Christ's followers abandoned him, but the saints haven't abandoned me yet. That's crazy. Um, is that unbelievable or what? That's incredibly unbelievable. And it's, I've, uh, I've had, a, I had a friend um, who was a Mormon, and I tried witnessing to him God knows how many times. Um, and actually, after studying the temple rituals, um, especially on the endowment, uh, the washing and the anointing is actually very, very similar to a Wiccan ritual. Wow. That uh, I used to do. Um, only they use the name of Jesus Christ, but the mouth can say anything. So. Yeah, the mouth um, can. But, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know, I just, it, it really, my heart goes out to those people, um, because just as to how deceived they are, you know, and this guy, I knew, was, I was convinced that Jesus' atoning sacrifice was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. I'm just like, brother, I, I mean, my, I, I wanted to, I, I almost wanted to smack a Bible over his head to see if I could <laughs> knock some sense into him, but I couldn't. Well, I'm glad you um, didn't. Hey. Yeah, but I, I'm not. I'm certainly praying for him, but God bless you on what y'all are doing. Thanks. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm believing for the Lord to change multiple. I'm believing even for millions of lives. I do too. I and I join uh, my prayers with yours in that regard, Danny. Thanks so much. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Bye bye. We're going to go to Ann and Logan in just a second. I just wanted you to know, Spencer wrote, and he said, in reference to the Mormons changing their first vision, what happened was. Uh, we had John write us about a Temple Square visit, and he had the sister missionaries at Temple Square in their presentation to a large crowd there. They told them that when God visited Joseph Smith, um, that Joseph Smith went into the woods and Heavenly Father told him that he should join no church, but that these churches are good, but they just don't have the full gospel. And this is the new, revised politically correct, kind and gentle uh, missionary discussions that are being delivered at Temple Square, at least. I don't know if the missionaries out in the field are doing the same thing. Well, Spencer writes, because I complained about them doing this, and he says, you criticize our history, and then you criticize us for changing something to make ourselves better. And, and so he says, you just want to criticize us. You're only out to, to attack us. Let me tell you something, Spencer. 
I don't care if you guys say that, that your history says God said, don't join any of the churches. They're all corrupt. Their ministers are all of the devil or whatever Joseph said over the course of his ministry. If you want to say that stuff, say it. But say it. Your revision is a lie. You keep revising because you're being deceptive. You used to honor your history. When I went on a Mormon mission, I used to recite that thing verbatim. Joseph was told by the Lord, do not join any of them, for their hearts are far from me. With their mouth they draw near me, but their hearts are corrupt. I mean, everything. They included the real thing. Now the mission, sister missionaries are telling the people that God told them, they're all good, but they just don't have the fullness. It's bull. It's bull. Bull. I didn't say it. I didn't say it, Michelle. So come on, man. Spencer, wake up! How long are you going to be fed the jello, dude? Just spit it out and just get to... Oh. Okay, uh, we're going to Anne in Logan on line four, and you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, Sean? Yes, Anne. Well, I just wanted to tell that sweet lady that was worried about uh, whoever it was who committed suicide yes. that that is not an unforgivable sin. I have a precious nephew who is 23 years old that was in the Marines. After he got back, he committed suicide. Mm. He's a born-again Christian, mm. and the Bible says that the only unforgivable sin there is is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, yep. the Holy Ghost. And the ones that commit suicide, they certainly will go to heaven if they are a born-again Christian. The Amen. only thing they will lose is their rewards right. they would receive right. had they have uh, not committed suicide. Right. But they lose their rewards. But other than that, they will go to heaven. Praise right. God. Amen. Praise God. And Anne, thank you so much for that. I really Is this Anne C.? Yes. Anne, I love you. I love you, too. I don't like your hair, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Anne! Yes. I never comment on your hair and makeup. Well... I'm old. I can get away with it, but you're still young. I love you, Ann. Thanks so much. All righty. All right. Bye-bye. I can't believe that she doesn't like this. All right. Let's go to Eli and Ogden, first-time caller. Eli, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I have one for you that I haven't heard before in my whole life, but I want to know what your doctor did. Okay. I have, I have an aunt who is, who is LDS. She was married to a Gentile. Well, the LDS Gentile. Gentile did the LDS. He was a Baptist. But right. anyway, they had two children. They got a divorce. This is her third marriage. She married a man who was an upstanding member in the Mormon Church, and they told her that in order for her to go through the temple and get married in the temple, she had to become a virgin again. And for some, some miraculous way through counseling or something, I don't know if the Mormons have a doctrine or something, but she's a virgin again before she got married. Only on this show do yeah, you ever no, hear I mean, this. I, I, I swear to God, Chuck, my, my aunt told me this. What? The one who's a Mormon. How do you become a virgin again? Just That's what I, that's what I want to know. I mean, that bill's already been rung. You know? Oh, I, I mean, see it. The only, the only virgin I know that ever had children was, you know, Mary, and that yeah. was it. Yeah. You know, I don't... The problem with this, and, and I do... Uh, I do... Uh, I do accept what you have to say, but I, the problem is it's not doctrine... And so it could be some wacko bishop or something giving advice. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, this is the kind of stuff to let your listen, you know, let them listen. This is the kind of stuff they're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd love to hear a quote. If you could find out some source reference, source material on that, it'd be great. I'll ask her. Okay. 
Okay. Thanks, Thanks so much. All right, Eli. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Jack in Salt Lake in a second. One more. Um, what are you going to do? This is from Todd. When church history is over. I am sorry that Mountain Meadows is taking so long, but that whole thing allows us to tell a lot of what happened in Mormon history while using Mountain Meadows as the, as the text. But after... Um, 2009 and church history we're going to do 2010 and we're going to just teach the gospel of jesus christ and uh, and everything about it uh, that we can in a year and we're going to just parallel mormonism in there as we teach what the gospel of jesus christ is so it's really going to be a biblically oriented show and then take what mormons believe as a side note to what the gospel really is okay so uh, we're going to go to Jack from Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Jack, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you there? How are you, Sean? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I just got a question for you because I, I found a book a long time ago in the landfill about a guy who used to be a Mormon. Yeah. And, and, and he was telling me that the upside, them, the, the steeple on Mormon churches yeah. are supposed to be like upside-down nails. He used to be a Mormon, but now he's not a Mormon. That's Ed Decker said that. It's supposed to be an upside-down, the steeples are supposed to be upside-down nails to stop the second coming of Christ. Have you heard anything about that? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I do. Uh, Ed Decker said that in Godmakers 2, and it's, it's absolutely horrible because there's nothing to it. He used it to sell books and to sell films or videos, and it's sensationalism, and it does nothing to help the cause of reaching Latter-day Saints. Any Latter-day Saint knows that the steeple is not an upside-down nail so Christ can pierce himself and be crucified or killed on it when he returns for the second coming. It's absolutely, it's pure fiction and it's garbage. Okay. All right. Okay. So, you. were you found that in a, in a trash dump? Well, yeah, I found it in the gar garbage of, uh, of some guy who used to be a Mormon. I, it was, uh, I found it like almost up 20 years ago. An appropriate and receptacle. Put it back in it. Yeah, okay. All right, my brother. Take okay, care. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Out of calls right now. Actually, the lines are busy. Keep trying to call, but the operator's getting through. We have no one on there, so I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments of dating. Thou shalt not date until age 16, number one. Thou shalt only date faithful Latter-day Saint young men, number two. Thou shalt attend activities that are wholesome. Thou shalt look for opportunities to go on double or group dates. Five, thou shalt dress modestly and be an example in thought, speech, action, and appearance. Six, thou shalt avoid dark places, parked cars, or empty homes, and all other environments that may cause temptation. Seven, thou shalt not participate in kissing and hugging sessions. Eight, thou shalt arrive home on time and not keep late hours. Nine, thou shalt not discuss, thou shalt discuss dating activities with your parents. And ten, thou shalt keep thyself clean and worthy to enter into the temple. All those pretty good suggestions, I suppose, for a young person dating. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, they quote 3 Nephi 27, 19 at the bottom of this where it says, and no unclean thing shall enter into his kingdom. The reference then is that these rules need to be kept to make you clean. It's not that Jesus is the way you're clean. It never is that Jesus is how you're clean with the Mormon youth or the Mormon adults. It's rules that you need to follow in order to enter into his kingdom. That is another gospel. Now let me comment on this while the operators continue to clear through the calls. 
I just want you to know that I am not for suicide. I would spend all hours of the day to talk with someone who is contemplating it and try to talk them out of it. I am not for sinning. I am not for youth in being involved in fornication. I am not pro-drugs. I'm not anything, even though I might look like it on our shows. I'm not. I am. I want people to live as close to how God lays out his commands because in following him, there is happiness, there is peace, there is joy, and there's less problems in this life. But understand that Jesus came and did for you what you couldn't do. You cannot make yourself clean or righteous. You can't do it through your life. You're going to, even if outwardly you really seem clean, you're going to have parts about your nature that are proud, that are evil, angry, malicious, lying, something. And that filth will keep you separated from the Father. Don't kid yourself with this stuff. I'm all for good advice. But don't kid yourself when it comes to your returning to, uh, uh, you're going to heaven. Okay? That's the point. We're going to Jasmine in Parowan, first time caller. Jasmine, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello there, Jazz. Hello there, Sean. I'm a loyal listener, and um, I've been watching your show for a long time. And um, you forgot, you haven't mentioned about what Gordon B. Hinckley said about the Mountain Meadow Massacre. I haven't gotten to it yet. Pardon? I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, you haven't gotten to it yet, but you're going to get to it soon. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Gordon B. Uh, well, you know, I've wanted to get to it each week, but I keep the more I dig in this, the more I okay, feel like... Okay, because uh, uh, we're recording your shows um, to give to family and friends that are leaving the LDS Church. Well, praise God. Uh, I will try to get to it in short order, Jasmine. Hopefully okay, within the... They- Thank you. And then I have a prayer request, too. Yes. First, um, a medical condition um, that nobody can find an answer to. And so I've been praying and praying and praying that God will find an answer or cure for or whatever. It's in my neck. Okay. And it's, and it's, um, it's uh, prevented me from living Practically, I'm almost tied to the bed. Um, I, so, if you could pray for me, pray for uh, me, Jasmine. Jasmine. Uh, but, Jasmine. Uh, thank you so much, Sean. J- Jasmine, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can. Let me pray for you right now and invite everybody in our audience to pray for you too. Okay. Oh no, it, it's it's okay because um, the. Uh, people that are watching TV, um, my, my friends might know, and I don't. I don't want a lot of people knowing about this problem. I've had to uh, drop out of certain activities, and okay. only certain people know about this. So I don't want it broadcasted. You, it's okay. just be, I mean, you can pray for me um, by yourself, not over the air. It's okay. Okay, Jasmine, you got it. God bless Thank you, my you. sister. Okay, bye. We're going to Crystal in West Valley City. Crystal's a first-time caller. Crystal, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Crystal. Is this Sean? This is. Sean, I just want to say thank you for your ministry. I was flipping through channels one night about two months ago. I found Heart of the Matter, and I am hooked. (laughs) 
I well, have, through your ministry, been able to minister to and fellowship with my LDS friends and be able to banter with them about things that are in the Bible but that are not in the Book of Mormon. Oh, very and good. I just, I just really want to tell you that I appreciate what you do. And I think you're a really cool guy, and God bless you for doing what you do. Oh, thanks, Crystal. That's very nice of you. I appreciate it. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Dave in Ogden on line one. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, my brother. God bless you. God bless you, Dave. What's happening? Not much. Earlier you were reading a publication that your daughter had received from the church. Yeah. And did you, you quoted the prophet as saying that Satan was a liar and everything he did and everything he said was a lie? Yes. Well, I have a DVD that's called Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith. In fact, Sandra Tanner's on it. And there's a quote in there from Brigham Young that he spoke right from the pulpit. I think it's referenced in one of the general discourses that he said, in fact, Satan did not lie to Mother Eve and that in, uh, he told her the truth. Is that, is that a, a quote from Brigham Young? You know what? I don't know that. Um... I don't know that quote, but a couple things. One, I'm glad you're bringing it up so people can check it out. Go to www.utlm.org and check it out yourself. And two, I'll do some homework and try to bring it to the audience next week if I can remember. I mean, which prophet are they supposed to believe? I mean, they contradict one another. So I know. is it just a prophet that's alive when you're there? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like that, that thing says at the end quote, Ballard says, uh, we cannot lead you astray. We, we we won't lead you astray. We cannot. Brigham Young used to teach blood atonement. Brigham Young oh, used absolutely. to teach Adam God. I was, I was raised, I'm ex-LDS, so I was raised believing in the, uh, the firing squad and that you had to die and shed your own blood. Yeah. Thank it's God amazing. <laughs> All right, Dave, I appreciate the call. We'll check it out. And uh, if you happen to get the quote, will you email it to me? Yes. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is a, a email from uh, Mindy, and it says, I love your show, but I have a question. How would you explain your roadside divine intervention without believing in fate? Would you say, wouldn't you say that fate led you to the intervention? Let me explain something, and I think the Bible supports this. It's not really written out clearly, but I want to t explain something to you. While the operators, the phones are busy, but they're still, they have long talkers, so listen. God is constantly calling to everybody and he is laying forth his love through his son, through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly calling. But there are two things I don't think God will put upon you. I don't think he will put humility upon you. And I think it's people who come to understand who they are and relative to their life, relative to who God is, that become humble. God does not throw that on you, you have to become humble in the face of circumstances. Now people say, as they're going along, I can handle this myself, or God, I can't stand you for what you're doing to me, and as things continue to get worse, God, 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 instead of, oh Lord, help me, you see. So fate is not part of the mix of the roadside regeneration that I experience. I had many periods of my life where I did shake my fist and I did renounce and I did, was angry and things like that. But at the roadside experience, I was so broken by my choices and the life I had led and the way I was, I said, God, help me. And my heart was humble where I said, I can't do it alone. 
It's impossible. And that's when he started to do a work. The second area that God does not infringe upon, in my opinion, is your will. He's not going to force you into heaven. He is going to give you the choice. So he allows you to choose to be humble and he allows you to express your will whichever way you want. You were created in his image. And so you have those choices. Now, he'll bless you. He'll pull blessings back from you. He'll make your life difficult. He'll make your life easy. He'll do all kinds. Of, he'll show you signs, get, have the word speak to you, all the things to call to you. But you have to have the humility and you have to have the will. Those two elements take fate right out of the picture. And so I renounce, I don't believe in fate at all. I believe in God and I believe in his love for man. Okay, we're going to Marvin in Nampa. Marvin, that's Nampa, Idaho. Marvin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you doing? Doing well, Marvin. How are you? Not too bad. Long time, no hair. <laughs> Did you say... <laughs> What's happening, what? man? Oh, I, said, I said long time, no hair from you. <laughs> I know. What have I been I doing? I Anyhow, I just wanted to comment on uh, Jackie's uh, comment, which she was uh, talking to you about. And uh, can she was, uh, you asked her to, you know, tell you what they're teaching her now about that. Right. And, you know, some things, and I know where she's coming from, some things in the Mormon church they don't want to say because they're afraid that they're going to get 86 out of the Mormon church. Right. And uh, basically, so she figures, well, if she says anything, somebody might be watching your show that might know her, and they might go tell her bishop. Right. Okay, and she could get a letter saying, bye-bye. So, so, you know, um, a lot of what she was saying, though, Sean, like, um, like she kept on arguing with you and stuff. And I, I know that you endure a lot of hardship like that. You know, especially coming from where you've been. Right. But you know what? We need to pray for these people because, uh, you know, the Lord wants to take off the blinders. Yes, He does, Marvin. I always appreciate you know, your insights, my brother. Thanks so much. Well, hey, I just wanted to say, man. Keep up the good work, and I am definitely going to pray for that woman, Jackie, because she needs a lot of prayer. All right, my brother. I appreciate it. God bless. God bless, brother. Bye-bye. We're going to Lorat, it looks like, in Salt Lake City. First-time caller, Lorat. Hello. Hi. You're on the air. Say that again. You're on the air. I am. You are. Is this delayed? It is delayed. Oh, it is delayed. Wait a minute. Let me turn my, let me turn my TV down. Okay, so what do you want me to do? Well, you can talk if you'd like. Oh, or you okay. could sing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why, I, well, I was LDS for 40 years until we finally all left. Yeah. Because of a lot of problems that we didn't believe. We did some studying in that on our own. Uh-huh. And um, uh, I want to know, well, there's a lot of questions, but I want to know why the Mormon churches, the Ward House, when they have those steeples or thing on the top, the windows are always black. They're never stained pretty glass or white or clear. They were usually black. And then what is that thing, that pole going set up above the mat? What is the what? That pole that's up above that steeple that's usually always black. Why are the windows or why is it always black? When well, the church... 
It's really interesting. If you go through and look at a history of church architecture, you can almost see how they have changed in their approach to the outside world through it. And someday we'll have to do a show on that because it's really intriguing. But I believe, first of all, the term ward, that's the, what they call their congregation, their local congregation. Yeah. That ward is a political term. And it comes from wards, uh, and that's how they sectioned off political areas back in the 1800s. So that's so they named their things wards and stakes, are a bunch of wards put together. That's, that's from the Bible. But right. as far as the windows being dark or opaque so you can't see through, it's because they want your focus to be on them and what they're teaching and not the outside world. They don't want you sitting there and looking out over nature or, uh, or a beautiful stained glass window. They want your focus to be a, a sent on those who are speaking. And so they make, they make it obvious in all their buildings that you don't look out. When you're in the building, you are in and you're part of, part of the group. I think that's why. As far as the black thing uh, above the steeple, I don't know what, you, what that is. Well, yeah, when you go by them, you'll look because the windows or whatever it is, there's always, they're, they're black, they're dark, and we've always wondered why. Yeah. Hey, great call, Lauren. You I, do a I, great job. Thanks so much. God Thank bless you. you. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. I'm going to try Heather and Ogden. Uh, Heather, we only have, you have one minute, my sister. Oh, okay. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I was just wondering about, like, that thing where I've heard this from both people. If, uh, like, if God loves all of us, or everybody, or just, like, his followers, he's predestined. Oh. So you want to know if God loves everybody, or just those who have been predestined? Yeah, because I've heard both. I've heard, like, God loves every single person. Yeah. And then I've also heard that, um, God just loves, like, his followers and his predestined people. Yeah. You know, the Bible answers that. This isn't from me. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves everybody absolutely unconditionally and sent his son for them, Heather. So don't believe those, uh, those people who say God's love is limited only to those who accept his son. I don't believe it. In fact, I've got a talk here from M. Russell Nelson that uh, actually says that God's love is absolutely conditional. So we'll talk about that maybe next week. i got to let you go, my sister. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. All right, listen, uh, join us uh, July 11th, Oprah Wadden Baptism. Go to www.hotm.tv. You can get more information on that. Also remember, on September 5th, Saturday, from 5 to 8 p.m., join us for a fantastic time at Sugar House Park in Salt Lake City for Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival. And then... Um, just remember, as you're contemplating the things we talk about on this show, if Mormonism is true, remember, if Mormonism is true, then the Bible is false. Take that home to bed, chew on it. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going This man's awake, a storm's arising the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys 
snow And I can feel the 